that's another thing. The victim mentality is so powerful, man. It's uh, it drags you down because everything is happening to you. Mm-hmm. You're not making anything happen. The reality is you're making everything happen. That's the responsibility part. Um, and that's shifting that perspective from everything's happening to me to I am creating my life. I am no longer in the victim mentality. I am now in the power. Um, I have the power to change my life. I have the power to say no. I have the power to set boundaries. I have the power to, at any point in time, change my life, change my thoughts, change anything I want. You're listening to the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode 23 of the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast slash show. I'm your host, Brittany Nicole. This episode is a very special episode to me for two reasons. One, the number 23 is my favorite number, which I talk about later. And the reason it's my favorite number is because I have something called synesthesia. And synesthesia is when two of your senses are more fused together. And so for me, I associate numbers and letters with colors. And the number 23 is a beautiful aqua marine, which is one of my favorite colors. So that's one reason. And the second reason I'm really excited about this episode is because I am interviewing a friend of mine, Christy Miller, who really just becomes extremely raw and vulnerable in this episode, talking about her upbringing and how she never felt like she had permission to express and feel all of her emotions and how that has affected her throughout her life, but also the beautiful transformation that she is going through right now with her own personal development and expressing herself and feeling those emotions and teaching her daughter how to do the same. So I am um, very honored to bring this episode to you because I think this is one of the most vulnerable guests we've had or I've had on this show. And uh, it's my pleasure to introduce Christy to you. So without further ado, here is episode 23 with Christy Miller. Awesome. Well, Christy, it is a honor and pleasure to have you on the Living and Leading with Emotional Intelligence podcast. By the way, my favorite number episode, number 23, number 23 is like my favorite number of all time. Um, So welcome, because you're not just a guest, you are a good friend of mine. So I'm very excited to have some just really raw authentic conversation with you. Um, Before we get started, I would love for you to just introduce yourself to our listeners and viewers. Sure. My name is Christy Miller. I am a professional photographer and an emotional motivator. I'm a co-owner of Nemazine Photography Studio here in Indian Trail. And um, I'm excited to be here first and foremost. And thank you so much for inviting me. And uh, yeah. It is my pleasure to have you. And for any of you listening, so if you go onto my LinkedIn or on my Facebook, you'll see a lot of the pictures that Christy and her co-owner Ray have done. Um, They're amazing. So if you're local in the Charlotte area, Indian Trail, are you guys in Indian Trail? That's where you are? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Check her out. Um, I also use one of her pictures for my book as well about the author. So they do amazing work. Thank you. But we're not talking about photography today, are we? Um, <laughs> we actually, it's, it's funny how things just kind of happen, like the serendipity of life, because I reached out to you for your services. And it just so happens as we were talking about, you know, what I did, it really resonated with your own personal journey that you started way before you and I ever connected. And from those conversations, um, there's been a lot of emotions, there's been some tears, but there's also been great transformation. Yeah. So I just want you to share with everyone how you started um, learning about things like emotional intelligence when you're, I mean, it's kind of a blurry 
area when we say, when did it all begin? Right. Yeah. yeah. But, but kind of what was the catalyst for you seeking out um, your, your journey? I think the, the start of this all happened um, probably actually when my mom passed away. I think that was a big poignant moment in my life. And I didn't have the terminologies that I have now, um, but I, I found some people, a mentor that really helped to start open up some things for me. Um, and Sue Bryce, I love her. And um, her platform really started challenging my views, but in a good way. And that led to so many other things um, and your book and meeting you and meeting other women uh, in the Pink Mentor Network. All of those things kind of um, created this amalgamation of uh, an area in my life where I could learn and create something different for me. So I'm sorry to hear about your mom. Um, when, when you say that that was really when it all began for you, what were the signs there? Like what, what were the feelings that arose that maybe you weren't aware of? I was angry. I was, um, I was very angry. I realized that I, uh, I hadn't dealt with it. In fact, it had been almost a year and a half that I didn't deal with it. Um, I went through the motions. I you know, had to go down and help my father move and help close up the estate and help with the funeral and help with everything else. I was so caught up in doing everything for everybody that I didn't take time at all to process it. Um, and I was angry with my mom for a very long time. Me and her had a very difficult relationship growing up. It was one of struggle and conflict, um, reaction, and not a lot of empathy. So when we, when, you know, my family came back together, I was so focused on everybody else and making sure they were okay uh, that I didn't really take time for my feelings to manifest and for my voice to be heard or just for me to even recognize that I had feelings. Um, and that came out as anger and frustration and sadness. And it took me a long time to work through that. Um, and then it shifted because I found out that I could shift it. And my perspective changed. I'm really glad that you bring up those strong emotions like anger. And I'm assuming that you were displacing that on other people around you. Um, and probably yourself as well, taking that out on yourself. And I just had this conversation yesterday about how we talk about um, energy vampires right? This was in the podcast that I just recorded, I think a couple days ago, actually, with Megan, and how I see so many posts about keeping negative people out of our lives. But what we have to realize is just like you were hurting, and you were displacing that onto other people. These people that we view as just terrible, miserable, bad people are probably dealing with something themselves. And if we shut them out of our lives completely, then who is going to be there for them? Yeah. Right. Um, do you feel like having that anger that it did push people away? Did you find that there was people that did show you that compassion and could see past that anger? You know, what was that there like were. for you? It was difficult because I think it was more self-destructive for me. I didn't, I, I did push some people away and, and um, but also at the same time, there were a lot of people that came together and were very compassionate in my life that I never expected um, that were understanding and that were compassionate towards me, even with my anger. Um, the anger really hurt 
me more than I think I took it out on other people. It was a self-destructive pattern and the spiral of just um, a continuous cycle of beating myself up. Yeah. And everybody handles it differently. You know, for me, I was that miserable person that I didn't take it out on myself. It was 100% projected on other people, you know, and um, I became that energy vampire, <laughs> that toxic person. So it's, it's interesting to hear from someone else's perspective. So were you a mom at the time when, when all this happened and how do you feel like that impacted your daughter? How did you feel about that? What, like what emotions arose from that? And yeah, just walk me through that. Cause I don't I, have children. You know? I was a mom. Yes. At, at the time. And um, she's getting ready to turn seven. And so when it happened for her, she was four and it was a difficult time. Um, I, I felt like I was failing her as a mom. And I think that compounded my own anguish and my own insecurity. Uh, You know, there was a, there was a couple of times where, during the funeral, um, I had compassionate people all around me that literally came to pick her up, um, the owner of a daycare, actually. And she said, don't worry, I've got her. And wow. she kept her for a week at her house with her kids. No problems. Uh, she texted me and keep me up to date with how she was doing. Um, she even went and grabbed, you know, clothes for her and everything. And it that blessing was... Wow just amazing for me. Um, But I also felt like she didn't realize what was going on until it happened for her. And a lot of emotions came out of that too. Um, But I didn't know how to handle them. And so I had to start shifting how I was looking at things in order to understand why she was upset too. Yeah. So when we talk about things like emotional intelligence, right? Cause you said you didn't have the words, you didn't have the terms or the vocabulary or understanding of all of this. Um, you know, how has that made a difference in your life since oh, yeah. you do know and how you've been practicing? Like walk us through where you were to where you are today and where you see yourself going based on all of these things that you have been practicing and developing awareness of? Where I was, was, uh, mm. <laughs> it's hard to imagine because I'm, I, I'm so vastly different now. Um, I was constantly insecure, questioning myself at every step but I didn't even realize it. Mm -hmm. Um, My life was very chaotic. Um, You know, I was opening a business. I was a mom. I was trying to figure out all of these things all at once. Uh, My house was a mess and I had no organization. Um, I didn't know how to do, I didn't even, I I felt like I didn't know how to do the basic things, even cleaning. Um, basic things that a lot of people grow up with. I think um, I didn't have that. So it constantly caused me stress. It constantly caused me to have a negative self image of myself because I was in that cycle of beating myself up for it because I didn't know that there was another way of existing. Mm. Um, I didn't know about compassion for myself or forgiveness for myself. I didn't have the understanding uh, or the vocabulary. Like you said, I was just constantly angry. And then I was angry that I was angry. Yeah. And um, it's totally shifted everything, learning about feelings and emotions and understanding acceptance of my, of myself, of my emotions and the idea 
that you can change that mm-hmm. changed everything for me. Yeah. Everything. It really is a life changer. It's a feeling of complete liberation. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And when you talk about things like you didn't know how to do some of the basic things you never understood or had compassion. Um, I want to talk about like how upbringing really influences our lives and how we view ourselves because, you know, you said that you didn't have the best relationship with your mom. And then I think, well, what was the relationship like in what relationships in her life aided in her uh, emotional state and how she perceived the world. Mm-hmm. And then it just, it's a ripple effect. Yeah. Right. It's, it's a continuation, which is why it is so important for us to bring that awareness to the situation and become aware that we're not bad people for having certain thoughts and certain feelings. We're lost. Yeah. It's not our fault. We were conditioned to act and feel and do as we're doing today. And until we have that awareness and that information, we don't know any other way, like you were saying. Yeah. But when we do become aware, mm-hmm. that is when it's our responsibility. It may mm-hmm. not have been our fault, but it's 100% our responsibility. I know I wanted to kind of take it back to family, but now I'm talking about responsibility. So I'm just going to go with the responsibility piece because I think that's, that's an even bigger issue that we see in our society today is the lack of responsibility and ownership. And I, I want to get your perspective on why you think that is such um, a major issue and why do you think it's so difficult for us to look in the mirror and see our faults? Because we don't look in the mirror and see our fault because we don't challenge ourselves sometimes. I think that the the responsibility of taking taking the responsibility of your emotions is not something that's talked about. It's not something that's taught very often. You really have to be uh, in a in a, a space in your family or society or have those people around you that have that thought or that mentality in order to learn that. Um, and that's not as common as it should be. Um, but I think a lot of us are taking on that responsibility now it's being talked about more. It's, um, this thought process is different. It's shifting. Um, but you were saying something that hit on a keynote, I think, uh, cause I just remembered, you know, I'm also, I have that too, is I'll remember things randomly. Um, and I'm accepting of that. It's kind of nice. Yeah. Uh, Louise Hay um, wrote that a uh, couple of books. And she was really the one that opened my eyes to the forgiveness and acceptance. Um, and the responsibility that it is us, that we can change, that we can uh, take those emotions and those feelings and validate them ourselves and give ourselves permission to move forward Mm. or we can stay where we are. And once you come to that realization, once you are told that, I think there's, there's something inside that, that kind of creates this energy shift Um, and you can take it and you can run with it or you can take it and stay with it. But either way, it's your choice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I mean, you just said it right there, choice. Um, and too often we get into that victim mentality where it's like, I, I, this isn't my fault. It's not my choice. I was born with this. And I've said this before, uh, you know, with my family, it was anxiety, depression, um, constant worry, And I was constantly fed, not just from my family, but from psychologists that you have this disorder. Here's a prescription. Like, it's okay. Like, it's not your fault. You were just born with this or it's a chemical imbalance. And that kind of, it bothers me that that people are so quick to diagnose 
instead of offer alternative solutions. Mm -hmm. The medication helped me get into a state of mind that allowed me to have that clarity to come off of that state of um, extreme immense anxiousness. Mm -hmm. And I never really had depression, but just that self-loathing if you will. Right. And got me into a better headspace so that I could focus on developing those skills. But I just want to stress, like, I'm not telling people to get off medication. I'm telling people that if you're on medication, don't just stop there. Continue to work on yourself and see the light at the end of the tunnel. Mm -hmm. Because I found that once I was able to have that compassion for myself and that awareness and understanding of how to regulate my emotions that I didn't need an outside source to help me with that regulation. I'm the same way. I, um, I was very depressed and I went to the doctor. I'm very much an advocate for that. Um, I wouldn't be where I am right now without the medication helping, giving me that foundation to slow down mm-hmm. um to not feel so bad right and um i think i needed that at the point at at this point in time it it, it wasn't just a, a fix in fact i struggled a lot having to go through uh, a couple of different medications but i kept going back to my doctor and i i it took me a little bit of time i was patient with myself but the medication is what gave me a good foundation to start building yeah. up. And it's just that baby step that just do it. Just get the help you need. If it's not working, keep trying. And when you find it, you'll know. And that helped so, so very much. And I'm not ashamed of it anymore. Yeah. 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 It's sad um, because I think everyone who's listening knows someone in their life who has, as you said before, given up and stays stuck in the past of this is, I'm accepting this instead of moving forward. And what I often hear, especially from people that are my parents' age, is they see it as they've already lost this many years of their life. It's more comforting for them to stay in that mental space of victim mentality, Mm -hmm. because if they had to wake up to the fact that they have created 50, 60, 70 years of misery for themselves, they don't see the anywhere from, you know, 30 to five years left, even if you had a day left, right? Like they don't see the value of coming to that new mindset shift as being as value. You don't know until you're there, right? It's like trying to explain it to someone that hasn't experienced it. You're so focused on what you know, right? Yep. And I think that is so unfortunate. So anyone that's listening, Um, that feels like they've already lived so many years of their life up to this point that they just couldn't imagine like coming to that realization that a lot of the things, the mindsets they've created or you've created for yourself, that was the case for me. Um, We have years left to live. Why not make them the best years and put the past aside and start a new chapter in our lives? Yeah. And that, um, that was another big thing for me was growing up. I know you had mentioned this before, so I'm going to go back to that real quick. Growing up for me was a struggle because I was in Weight Watchers when I was 10 years old with my mom. Um, and then after that, I was in another group of Weight Watchers. And then after that, I was in the Atkins diet. And then after that, I was in another group from the age I was 10 years old, my mom had very harsh views on herself and her body and the diet mentality, the, you've got to lose weight in order to be happy. Um, 
all of those things were shoved on me um, from a very young age. And I grasped onto that concept and I didn't realize that it was affecting me so negatively um, until recently uh, when I started to, I guess, find this idea of I can accept myself just how I am and I'm beautiful and I'm valuable and I have the capacity to give myself permission to love myself right now. I don't have to wait. I'm not going to wait until somebody tells me that or somebody validates how I feel. Yeah. I can choose it. Yeah. That's powerful. That is very powerful. That is very powerful. And before you had that for yourself, do you feel like you were constantly in search of that validation from other people? Yeah. And, and that's another thing. The victim mentality is so powerful, man. It's uh, it drags you down because everything is happening to you. Mm-hmm. You're not making anything happen. The reality is you're making everything happen. Yeah. You, you go and you get a glass of water. You just made something happen. Yeah. You walk outside for a moment. You made something happen. The, the act of you doing anything, anything is you making it happen. If you have a great idea and you go out and do it, you made it happen. If you have a bad idea and you go out and make it happen, you made it happen. That's the responsibility part. Um, And that's shifting that perspective from everything's happening to me to I am creating my life. I am no longer in the victim mentality. I am now in the power. Um, I have the power to change my life. I have the power to say no. I have the power to set boundaries. I have the power to, at any point in time, change my life, change my thoughts, change anything I want. And I know that sounds very cliche, but sometimes it's the cliches that really click Mm -hmm. and, and it sets you on a new course. And they're cliche for a reason, right? (laughs) Yeah, they really are. Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's, that's so true. And in addition to the victim mentality, I think part of that is we compare ourselves to other people. Yeah. And so if we're so focused on other people, then we're not putting that focus on ourselves and what we need to do to reach our goals. And did you ever find yourself in life feeling like, okay, here's the blueprint, quote unquote, to happiness. This is what I have been told is the things that I need to do Mm -hmm. to become happy. And so when you reach these milestones of your life, did you ever say, well, man, other people are here. I'm not here. This is where I should be. Mm -hmm. Keyword should be. (laughs) My whole life growing up. And, and how did you, um, you know, I find it's interesting people that, that are on this self-development journey, how they break that tether of, or the umbilical cord of social indoctrination, if you will, and really scrap all of these social scripts they've been given and say, what do I really want? And how do I start that process of understanding what I really want? Because am I still stuck wanting what I think I should want? Mm -hmm. How did you differentiate that? (laughs) (laughs) There was a a lot growing up. Um, I was, I was told I was going to be amazing and I was going to change lives and I was a gifted child. And um, I always had straight A's. I would cry if I had a B Um, badly. uh, My parents didn't like the fact that I got a B. They set the bar superiorly high. I originally was kind of pigeonholed into music. I started playing the trumpet when I was three or in third grade, sorry, third grade. And my whole life up until that point was music. That's what my parents did. Mm-hmm. Um, my mom was a music teacher. My dad was a vocalist. They were in the choir in church, all of these things. And he became an Elvis tribute artist. Um, 
So I actually had a full ride scholarship to Wingate University. And I went there for a year and I hated it. I hated it. Um, And I think that was the first time in my life that I decided to do something for myself. Mm. And I left. And I dropped out. I, I wasn't happy. Of course, I was also in a very bad relationship. I wasn't happy there either. And it took a lot of um, processing time to figure out what I really wanted. And photography became the catalyst for me. It became my, I don't know, I'm, I was drawn to it. It became something that was beautiful in my life. And so I decided to pursue it. Um, and then I went to university and I still did it. I still did the same things. I had to be the best. I had to achieve the highest. Um, I graduated cum laude. I graduated with two degrees. I had three jobs, all of these things. And I, and I was angry when I, when I graduated because my parents didn't even give me a card. Oh, wow. <laughs> Excuse me. They actually left my graduation party early. And I was so angry with that because I had worked for four and a half years. I graduated cum laude top of my class. I was in the 1% that went and studied abroad. I achieved so many things and I was still so unhappy because I was looking for their validation. I wanted them to be proud of me. Um, And it hurt. But now I realize that I still did that. I still did that. I can be proud of me. Yeah. That's, that's huge. Yeah. And now I've created, a, you know, I've helped create a business because of it. And that helps change women's lives. Um, so that was, it's something I still struggle with, I think. But that that's a part of it. All of those things were leading me up to this point. They were stepping stones for me. Mm -hmm. And I'm at this point in my life, whereas in, you know, five, 10 years, I'll be at this point. Um, But there's no rush for me to get to any place. Um, Learning contentment in the moment, slowing down, being thankful and grateful, giving myself permission to feel those things about myself changed a lot of things in every, in every other aspect of my life. Yeah, I, man, that's some heavy stuff right there. And it brings me back to a conversation I was just having with my friend the other day who isn't close with his dad, hasn't spoken with his dad in years because his dad was very verbally abusive um, controlling. Uh, there was, there was just so many things, right. That he had to deal with growing up. Like his dad told him at one point, well, first kicked him and his brother out without giving them a night to find another place, just kicked them out when they were in their teens. And then later in life told him he wished that he would have killed all three of the kids. Um, I mean, just very hateful stuff. And again, his dad, I'm sure was dealing with his own personal trauma and and demons from his upbringing. You know, you never know. Um, But the one thing that we were talking about was forgiveness. And he said, you know, I just don't believe in having to forgive someone for anything. He said, if someone has wronged me, I don't have to forgive them for what they've done. And so we got into this conversation about, what it means to forgive someone and that it's not so much for that person, but for ourselves, it's letting go of that resentment that we feel. And have you reached that point in your life or is that something you're still working towards? How do you feel about forgiveness? Last night. (laughs) I'm not, I'm not kidding. Um, I had a, a, I'm not speaking with my father right now. Um, currently, uh, I haven't, I haven't responded to any, 
phone calls, text messages. I actually had to block him on social media. Um, and this is my decision. Uh, right now, will I speak to him in the, in the future? I don't know. Um, but last night I had a huge breakthrough. Uh, he left me a voicemail. I have his number blocked, but it still goes to voicemail and he'll leave voicemails. The last time he tried to contact me was Christmas. He was very angry that I hadn't messaged him back. Um, and I noticed, I'm noticing his verbiage and the way he uses it. Um, it, he starts out, sorry. <sighs> I have anxiety too, so got to give myself a sec. He starts out by saying that Christmas time is a family time. And it's a time where we should celebrate the birth of Jesus and that families should be together on Christmas. And the way he, it was the way he said it. Um, and then demanding, he demanded then, he said, you need to call me back. Um, I don't know what to get you for Christmas. And Sorry. Take your time. No, no, take your time. Uh, I realized that he's my dad, um, but he uses these ways of manipulation and lack of empathy yeah. and lack of kindness um, to control others. And he doesn't realize he does it, of course. Um, but the reason I'm not spoken with him in a while is because he immediately got married to another woman that I had only met once after my mom passed. This was six months after she had passed away. Wow. They went in, uh, to the justice of peace and got married and didn't tell anyone in the family. Wow. Didn't tell us. Um, and when they announced it to us, we, you know, we were invited out to eat for dinner and I just thought it was like a lunch dinner kind of thing. You know, we went to a mm -hmm. local restaurant. Um, this was the second time meeting her, by the way. I had only met her once before. So the second time I had met her and uh, she stood up, she had the ring on her finger and she said, I just wanted to let you guys know we're married. So wait, that, that was the first time while you were having dinner. Yes. She just stands up and, and says, wow, okay. Yes. And, and it took me by surprise. I said, excuse me, I have to go to the restroom. And I went to the restroom and cried. Um, I didn't know how to react. I, I didn't know what to do. Uh, there were a big warning, red, red flags going off in my head. Um, and when I sat back down, she immediately said, well, are you happy for us? And I said, I, uh, I don't really know how to process this. I'm sorry. This is all very fast and sudden. Um, I just lost my mom six months ago. And now you're telling me that you're my mother-in-law. Or, yeah, uh, stepmom. Stepmom. Yeah. Stepmom. And I just, it, that, it just yeah. blew my mind. Um, and over the course of the last three years, uh, they have left one or they have left one another or kicked each other out. I lost count after the twelfth time. Oh man. I lost count. Wow. So it is a very abusive relationship, very manipulative relationship, very volatile relationship. Um the third time that she came to my house, she refused to get out of the car because she was angry with us. I had no idea why, because the last time she was in my house, we had a great time and I hadn't spoken to her since. And then I realized it wasn't me and there was nothing I could do about that. Yeah. Now, did I try to help my dad numerous times? I helped him get uh, uh, rental places like a storage unit multiple times. The first four times that he left, 
I went over and helped him pack up his stuff four times. I helped him pack up all of his things. The police were called. Um, a whole bunch of other stuff happened. Since then, my dad has been, uh, she tried to say that he was going uh, suicide, that he was going to kill himself. So she had him taken in by cops to the hospital. I can't make this stuff up. Yeah. Um, it left it left me with a very it it forced me into a position that I never wanted to be in. Um, I just wanted to have a relationship with my dad. Yeah. And last night, I'm trying to get back on topic. Last night, he left a voicemail. I think he's back with his parents because I refused to take him in again after about the eighth time. Wow. I said, you need to figure it out for yourself. And then he gave me the the pity party of, well, I guess I'll go stay with my parents then. I said, okay, if that's what you have to do, then do it. You can go get an apartment. Um, There's men's shelters that you can go to. And he refused all of those and decided to sleep in the Walmart parking lot. Hmm. Um, but I realized it was my reactions that, that they were striving for, mm-hmm. reaching for a reaction. Um, and last night I, the first thought I had when I heard his voicemail was, how do I, how do I respond to this? I've got to tackle this. I've got to figure out a way to make this stop. And then I realized just that thought is not true. I don't have to react. I don't have to do anything. If I react in this family, anything I say, I could say a, a pleasant way. I would analyze how I wanted to do it, what I would say, what reactions they would have, how I would react to it. It's all about reaction. Mm-hmm. No matter what I said, no matter how I did it, no matter how I presented myself, it doesn't matter because they are reactionaries. Yeah. Um, so anything I did would be like throwing a rock into a pond and creating ripples. If I wrote him a letter, uh, the family would probably read it and then the family would start talking and then I would start getting text messages and phone calls and why are you like this? And what's wrong with you? And what's going on with you? Yeah. So I realized last night that I have this power. I have power to not react. Yeah. I have, I have power to not react. And that's powerful. Because um, when there are manipulators in your life, when there are people who push blame on you, and will not or refuse to take responsibility for their own actions who are so far down in that hole that they cannot see um, or, or, or want to see. They can't be wrong. Yeah. There is always a choice of not reacting. So I've chosen to not react. Yeah, it's... um. Mm it's such a tough place to be, right? Because you, we, we don't want to see our loved ones or family members in that state. But like you said, after constantly trying to help, trying to offer a space for them, here's the thing. I recommend that everybody tries to hold space for someone mm-hmm. until you realize that, like you said, no matter what you do, they're too far gone into their own reality that you know until they make that decision until they accept that space that you're giving them then it's not benefiting either person because like you said they are going to interpret anything as either pity for them uh condemning them maybe um there's a word I'm looking for being condescending. Yeah. Right. They see authentic care as you're mocking me, you're being condescending. And I myself have dealt with that in my own family 
to the point where I know where my boundaries are. I know the things that I can talk about and discuss and I know things to just let go and, and leave behind. Um, as you were talking, there were so many things that I wanted to kind of elaborate on. So I'm just going to pick through them by memory. But one of them is, um, oh my gosh, there's so many. <sighs> you know, feeling bad or guilty for someone else's um, challenges in life and taking that as your own and, and separating yourself from that. You know, since, <clears throat> excuse me, since you have kind of decided to distance yourself from your father for now, um, what was that process like for you? Like, can you talk through the, was there a back and forth for me personally, there was a back and forth, that internal voice telling me, how could you do this? This is your family. They brought you up. But then the other voice is like, yes. And there's this toxic environment that it's not fair to leave myself in. It's kind of, you know, so tell me, what was that like for you, that voice, that back and forth in your head? Well, the first time it happened, um, when, uh, when he first called me and said that he, you know, had been kicked out um, of the house and he needed help, my first instinct, of course, is to go help. So I did. The second time it happened, I did. The third time it happened, I did. I felt like a failure because he told me all the horrible things that had happened and I believed him. Um, I think it just comes down to, it happened so much and it kept happening that I slowly started saying no and I won't help you this time because it's causing me um, financial hardship and my family financial hardship and my family emotional hardship because he would come and sleep on the couch and Telly would be upset because three or four days later, after having an awesome time, she wouldn't see him for months. Mm. And that's not fair to her. It's not fair to me. Um, whenever he would go back to her, there was a severe controlling relationship with the two of them. And he wouldn't call because he was told he can't. Um, I was a threat to her and to her um, relationship with him. Mm. It was very, very twisted. It was very mm. gross at some points because she actually was very controlling over my father and some of the, because I did speak with her for a bit on Facebook messages. Um, she was very controlling over how I could interact with my, my father. Wow. Um, and she would at some, at one point she was like, he's mine and he'll never love you as much as he loves me. And, um, some other things that, that basically put me on her level with my father. And, and that made me feel so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Um, cause I was like, I'm not, I'm his daughter. Yeah. I'm not owning my father. He's not mine to, I don't yeah. know how to, I don't know how to word that properly, but it, it was um, basically she was controlling him so much to the point that it was like almost a sexual thing. Then she said a couple of things to me and I was like, that's that not cool. Yeah. Not cool. That's disgusting. Um, wow. Yeah. Uh, so the more and more I got into that, the more and more, I tried to help, uh, the less and less I felt good about it, the less and less I felt like it's not the right thing to do. Um, and it was painful um, because I had to start saying no, and that hurt. It hurt to say no. It hurt to deny it, deny, you know, helping. Um, because I, my whole life, I've always been helping. I've always had that, taken that responsibility of I've got to help somebody else on. Um, 
can I interrupt for just a second? Mm -hmm. Because when you say helping, um, I am right there with you. That's the way I felt for so long. And uh, not just with family, but with friends that would come to me with their hardships and giving them advice and bringing them in and supporting them and doing all these things for them. And it makes us angry sometimes because we're helping air quotes um, for those listening. We, we see ourselves as helping and they're not taking our advice. So then it makes us feel hopeless because again, that's a lack of control that we have because it is their responsibility. It's their control. Mm-hmm. And what we label as helping may actually just be enabling. Yeah. And that's a, mm. yeah. Uh, whenever you help somebody, you take away their power because they're not figuring it out themselves. Well, enabling. It, yeah. Right? Yeah. Right. It's, enabling them to continue on that same path rather than changing something that within them or within their, their life or (laughs) a reaction that they would have had. Um, I think that, I think that helping is not bad inherently because we want to do it and we see it and it can be very powerful, but I think that it's, overdone for many of us. Well, there's a so, fine line. So right? much, exactly. Line. So much so that we neglect ourselves mm-hmm. and rather than giving from the overflow of our cup and the overflow of abundance that we've given to ourselves, we give from our cup. Mm-hmm. We give from our energy that we should be using for ourselves. Um, and there's a fine line of, you've got to figure that out for yourself. Right. Um, but the, the perspective that I have now is I'm letting them go with love. I forgive them because I know that they know what they know. They, they, they can't be responsible for what they don't know. Um, and if they're not in the right atmosphere, if they're not in the right environment, if they don't have the uplifting people in their lives, um, or the enrichments in their lives, and they weren't given that as, as kids, I, don't, I no longer blame them for it. I want them to have great lives. I want my family to have great lives, that part of the family. I want them to flourish in their own, um, but I also realize I don't have to be a part of it in order for me to love them from afar. I let it go with love yeah, and understanding that I don't have to change them. I don't have to change them. I release myself from that. And that releases me yeah. at the same time. And I love them. Yeah. But I don't have to do anything in order to justify that love. Mm-hmm. And that's what love is, right? Um, we throw love around <clears throat> so often, say we love people, but is it really love or is it, you know, so much love in this world is conditional. If you make me proud, I love you. If you do something to shame our family's name, I, I feel shame and I don't see you the same way. Um, And a big part of a lot of the issues within my own family unit was that for years, people could just disconnect for decades without speaking to one another over now looking back at it seems like very petty disagreements. But as we both know, those petty disagreements aren't what caused that rift It was something far deeper than that, whether it actually happened as they believe it happened or whether it was just this internal narrative that was spun. Um, It was their reality of the situation. And I know we only, oh my gosh, this hour goes by so fast. Um, But I think that's another important thing is that when we try to help people, we try to 
bring a more holistic perspective to the situation when they have, they are truly living in their own reality and we can't change that. And there are two people in my family that I have disconnected from. And one of them was because they really created all these false memories of how life unfolded for them. And I knew that that wasn't how it happened. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but they're relying on that because it gives them peace of mind that it wasn't their fault for how their life is today. Mm-hmm. They can blame it on other circumstances and situations. So listeners, like if you're trying, if you're in the situation that Christy has been in or that I've found myself in in the past, like we've got to realize their truth and not try to convince them otherwise, because it only, um, exacerbates the situation, you know, Mm -hmm. there becomes, you're calling me a liar. Like, how dare you, how dare you think X, Y, Z. And, um, so it's just having that love for them and understanding that things are more complicated and there's clearly something going on at a deeper level, but it's not our responsibility to fix it. It's, it's our responsibility to hold space if they need it. But if we realize that they don't want it, then we've got to let it go. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, when you look back through the years that you've been developing yourself, what are some highlights? Like what are some just really um, life-changing things that have happened that you've noticed? Like once you started to have that compassion for yourself, how did that change other aspects of your life? How did it change your relationship with your um, immediate family and your friendships, your business with yourself? Um, Things started to just uh, blow up in good ways. Uh, My daughter is actually talking to me about her emotions. Mm -hmm. Um, She's coming to me and telling me, I feel this way. I don't know why um, asking for explanations or she's just telling me how she's dealing with things. And I find that fascinating. Um, she's not even seven yet. And she's doing that. She's having these major thoughts about herself. Um, that's like fascinating. Uh, she, she, she's working through things on her own, but also asking for help and guidance. And uh, we allow space for that. We allow space for processing. We validate her feelings saying it's okay to feel, feel this way. It's okay to feel angry. It's okay to feel sad. It's okay to cry. Yeah. And that leaves space for her to process emotions and not stuff them down and not um, to tackle them. Yeah. And allow them. Um, and her vocabulary is growing because ours is. Um, because we're, we're trying and learning and taking responsibility. And we're saying we're sorry whenever we have an outburst, which we're human. Right. Um, and then we change. Like we, we, we see, we take responsibility, we change. And the business as well, um, taking responsibility for my actions my thoughts going into the studio, how I create my day, um, what I put my energy into, uh, the validation that it's important, that my time is important. My time is priceless. My energy is priceless. And nobody can do what I do. And I love that. And I get to see women become themselves and shine in front of the camera, and men too, and kids, um, anybody that I have in front of my camera, the transformation that they have is just, it's beyond words. And those memories are captured for forever. And I'm very proud of that. So I've shifted my perspectives in so many ways. I've lost 30 pounds. Um, (laughs) I wasn't even trying, but it was because I started to love myself. I stand in front of the mirror now and I tell myself that I'm beautiful 
I am beautiful and I'm, I'm loved. I can do that. If I can do that, you can do that too. Christy, I absolutely love you. I love seeing your transformation. I love your heart and your true authenticity in any space. Um, I've known you for a couple years now and it doesn't waver. And I can't say that about everyone that I have met along this journey. So I just want to thank you for your vulnerability, for sharing. Um, for those of you listening, I, I can't imagine that you didn't find some value in this amazing conversation. And um, just know that, you know, we're also doing this on Clubhouse too. So if you felt the urge to want to reach out and speak to Christy during this discussion, just know that after we do this podcast recording, we're still in Clubhouse and you can engage with upcoming guests too. So you can follow me at BNCS underscore 23, but I'm going to let Christy um, decide this. I'm not going to decide it for her, but if Christy's open and you'd like to connect with her, I can put her information in the show notes if that's absolutely she's open to. Absolutely. Awesome. Um, Christy, again, thank you so much. It has been an honor and a pleasure to interview you. And I'm so grateful to have you as a friend and a guest on this podcast. Thank you. Me too. Thank you.